Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Root and Roots Show on blogtalkradio.com. Now here's your host, Greg Rashid, bringing you the best in music, information, and history. Well, good evening, everyone. As Janine just said there, this is the Root and Roots Show. And by the way, listen to Janine Santana, you folks who listen on KUHS. We're not listening live in Colorado because she comes on right after the show and she has a great music show, so check that out. And that's Janine Santana. But anyway, this is Greg Rasheed, the host of the Root and Root Show, heard on Fridays and Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live, and also on a delayed basis on Saturdays and Wednesdays on KUHS Radio. I just mentioned Denver, Colorado, and also on television. And Henry Archuleta is the founder of that great, great station. And also you can pick this show up on blogtalkradio.com, obviously, and also various places on social media, including iTunes. So just check out the Root and Root Show, and you'll find it on iTunes and all over the place. And we're having a great show today, and I'm hoping, because of the time difference, that my guests will arrive and be on this show, because when it comes to... West Coast, East Coast, I've had issues with some folks who can't get the time right, but we're going to proceed anyway because we're doing a show about Muhammad Ali. Uh, Ishmael Reed, who wrote a great book on Muhammad Ali earlier this year, The Complete Muhammad Ali, will be on. But right now I'm going to play, this is a song done after Muhammad Ali won the championship again when he beat George Foreman in Zaire, and the group out of Philadelphia, the uh, People's Choice did the song called The Best Ever in Muhammad Ali. That's the name of it. So let's hear that on the Root and Root show as we wait for Ishmael Reed to come on. I'm a bad brother.
And I'm glad you know, that I, you... I interviewed, I interviewed uh, Jack Newfield, the great uh, sports writer and muckraker, right. who wrote for the Village Voice, and he dismissed uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad as a cult racketeer. And I thought that was uh, for Jack Newfield, who was scrupulous about his journalism and reporting. I thought that was a pretty sloppy assessment. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And, you know, and you mentioned also the movie that probably a lot of my listeners have seen or know about, the Ali movie by Will Smith. Because in that movie, that's where um, really it makes uh, Elijah Muhammad look awful. Like he's just, you know, he's a con artist. Well, I think that was the FBI's uh, strategy. If you read a book called uh, Racial Matters, an examination of uh, COINTELPRO and the FBI's uh, uh, examining of uh, different trends in black culture and politics, their strategy was to make uh, Elijah Muhammad seem like some sort of buffoon or a, uh, you know, as uh, Jack Newfield said, a cultist or a cult racketeer. Now, uh, Muhammad Ali's uh, career begins in 1904. So uh, most of the 100 books do not mention that it was because of the defeat of the Russian uh, fleet by the Japanese, the first time a colored nation had defeated a white nation, a number of uh, black intellectuals and civil rights leaders, including uh, George Schuyler and W.B. Du Bois and Elijah Muhammad himself, uh, began to talk about the Asiatic black man and that victory. As a matter of fact, Elijah Muhammad was in prison for uh, making pro-Japanese speeches in the United States. That's and right. one of America's uh, great, greatest and most neglected historians, Gerald Horn, says that uh, there are more uh, blacks who belong to Japanese fronts than communist fronts. So the example that uh, Muhammad Ali was following was the one that was set by Elijah Muhammad when he said, no Vietnamese called me a nigger. Actually, he got that from Abdul Rahman. Abdul Rahman yeah. originated that, that that phrase. And that's something that uh, most of these scribes will not talk about. You know, they won't they won't say anything about that. Now, well, they, know, they, they talk about they talk about uh, they talk about the uh, Muslims as being paranoid. For example, about right. Angelo Dundee. Well, it turns out last year it was revealed that Angelo Dundee was an FBI informant who reported to the yeah, FBI. I didn't know that until uh, I read your book. I was really shocked. Yeah, yeah when I saw that in Muhammad the Muhammad Ali's contacts with the uh, Nation of Islam. That, that's amazing, but it make but in many cases it makes sense. It makes a lot of. Oh sense yeah, for, well you know. you know I think that uh, just as uh, the 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 uh, the media, which works hand in hand with the government, the secret government, has raised hysteria about uh, this kid who invent, who took a clock to school. You right. know, hysteria is raised about any. A group uh, among blacks or other groups that they don't understand, that they find that they can't penetrate. Right, and, and when it comes to you know talking about the nation of Islam and talking about all these history and all, that's totally something that, as you say in the book, that folks they don't want they don't want to know about. They if they do want to know about, it, they want to make it like it's some sort of buffoonery or something. But talk about also. I really, you know, I like everything in the book, but talk about um, Ali's second wife, Khalila, who was known as Belinda when he got married. The interview we did with her, because she 
doesn't pull any punches. Actually, nobody does in this book. And also talk about the current wife, um, Lonnie, because she's well, portrayed all, as something uh, else. Go, go ahead. Well, first of all, let me say that uh, in 1856, Benjamin Drew uh, in Canada organized an anthology of fugitive slaves, and they could say up there what they could not say down here. So right. that tradition continues where I was able to have more freedom with a Canadian press headed by Robin Philpot, who ran for parliament up there. But as a matter of fact, I published him first. I have my own press. Uh, so I was, I was able to include the testimonies of different uh, witnesses to uh, Ali's career unedited, unedited. It didn't have to be accommodating to the middle of the mainstream reader, or it didn't have to be censored. So Khalila Muhammad is very, still very upset about what happened to her and how Muhammad Ali uh, humiliated her uh, before an international audience. She's also very critical of his current wife, Lani uh, Ali, who is praised by some people like Harry Belafani. For example, I interviewed Harry Belafani, and he said that uh, Lani Ali was a stabilizing uh, force in Ali's life, and she has certainly brought in millions of dollars for him on his behalf, even though she had to make compromises. On the other hand, uh, some of his oldest friends, including Ed Hughes, late Ed Hughes, whom I interviewed, and he, who is his oldest friend, claim, friend, claims that she has cut off contacts with not only uh, his friends, but uh, his, his relatives, like Muhammad Ali Jr. Now, that broke publicly last year when Muhammad Ali Jr. said that he's living on welfare and hand-to-mouth right. and, and living on the beneficence of friends, while uh, Lonnie Ali had arranged for a $50 million deal uh, so that Muhammad Ali can live in comfort because, you know, a company bought 80% of his name. So if you saw the Super Bowl, you heard uh, there was a soundtrack with Ali's voice backing the product. And then he's also appeared, uh, for example, advertising Vuitton luggage. Right, that's right. You know, and, and it's, you know, and that's really a shame to see that in one sense. But on the other hand, I know folks out there saying, "Well, you know, he probably would not be around if it wasn't for her." Some people say that. Some people contend that. You know, he's very, he's very, uh, he's very generous, uh, and that might have been one of the reasons for his downfall, in addition to the right. injuries that he took in the ring. But uh, I interviewed Emil Guillermo who gives a fresh perspective on the thriller in Manila, that it wasn't just a boxing match. It was, it was an event that brought the Philippines into the 20th century. In other words, before that fight, the, Philippine, the Filipinos were dismissed as disparagingly as our little brown cousins. But because of the showcase and the publicity brought to that fight, uh, the Philippines' uh, power became internationally re internationally recognized. As a matter of fact, Ali went out and engaged in a Muslim prayer with the rebels. So he had such power that he could work both sides, both for Marcos, the dictator, and the rebels who were trying to overthrow Marcos. Now, that caused a split between the Aquino and the Marcos because the Aquinos were in San Francisco, and they were upset that Ali brought prestige to uh, the dictator. Yeah, that's really. I'm glad that you know in the book, 
Uh, Ishmael, you, t- you know, you talk about the fact that people wanted to avoid as far as the Philippines and also Zaire at the time that these were both dictatorships. Yes. And talk about it. In particular, talk about what uh, Hugh Masekela was saying about his experience over there. Well, Hugh Masekela, uh, who's not uh, interviewed in some of the other books and ignored, a lot of the personalities and some of the closest people, the people closest to uh, Ali, have been ignored by the other books. But uh, Hugh Masekela was the one who arranged for the entertainment uh, in uh, Zaire, and he raised money through the uh, the, the uh, then president of Liberia and brought Don King into it. And there were a lot of uh, intricate negotiations uh, to make money for that fight, and Hugh Masekela was behind it. But he dismisses uh, Mobutu as, uh, of course, Mobutu was a tool of the West. Of, uh, of the right. West, uh, his, his uh, role was that of uh, trying to steer uh, Zaire away from a, a socialist direction that Patrice Lumumba had charted. As a matter of fact, the, the Pope at the time, I think it was Pope John, and uh, Patrice Lumumba were considered socialists. And uh, you know, the United States and Belgium conspired to uh, murder Patrice Lumumba because they didn't want. Uh, the Congo, or they, you, well, see, Lumumba was doomed when he made that speech before the King of Belgium. You you call that? Uh, right. Patrice Lumumba made a very militant speech in the presence of the King of Belgium, and uh, Lumumba was a very handsome man, very dashing, international star, like a rock star. People don't remember that, and he could have probably taken the whole continent into a different direction, but uh, seeing that he was. Uh, you know, uh, uh, considered a left-winger, the uh, Eisenhower administration had him murdered. You know, and, and listeners, if you don't know that whole history, Google it if you don't want to go to the library. Just learn more about that because all, all of this is connecting through the book. And, again, I'm talking to the legendary Ishmael Reed, whose latest book is The Complete Muhammad Ali. And you can call in here at 424-675-8315. Four two four six seven five eight three one five. Now, talk, you know what? I'm glad that you also put in there. You mentioned the Ali scribes. You get into a lot of, and you mentioned it earlier at the beginning. But these broadcasters, like the Larry Merchants, and these folks who really don't know sports and no boxing in particular, and talk a little more about that because they set the stage. And I'm glad you put in it. I was really surprised when I was reading the end of the book and see that you even put in there the stuff about Floyd Mayweather and Pacquiao yeah. from this year because I said, "Oh man, this is right, this is right up to date." So talk a yeah, little they, bit about uh, that. And what, go ahead. Well, I think of all, I think of all, you know, I've written books about the Jim Crow media. As a matter of fact, my first book with the uh, Barack Barack Publishers was uh, Barack Obama and the Jim Crow media, where I saw the corporate media as a sort of white power government in exile. And I mean, that's, that's been borne out <laughs> that, uh, you know, that they hate this, they hate this president. And that's why they're catering to uh, Donald Trump. The only reason that Donald Trump is there because he called, it's all coming out now because he called the president a, uh, a birther, you know, or I mean, right. he was a birther. He, he questioned, questioned uh, uh, Barack Obama's birthplace and, the rest of it, and whether he was a Muslim, so that's the only reason he's there, and uh, the only reason that Carson, the only reason that uh, Carson is there. Now, 
looking at the Floyd Mayweather fight, they hate Floyd Mayweather because now he's broken. Mar- now they really hate him now because he's broken Marciano's record or he's tied with him. They hate right. that. And uh, Larry Holmes is sort of like the chief purveyor of that vitriol. Uh, I mean, some of the. What do you mean, Larry Merchant? That Holmes. Oh, excuse me, excuse Larry me. Not Larry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, no. Larry, Larry, Larry Merchant is the chief purveyor of that vitriol. So I also uh, report a little reported incident where Larry Merchant insults that the Mexican Americans want to know why these Maharachi Which bands. Which I didn't are know. That. Yeah, say that one. Yeah. I didn't know that when yeah. I read your book. Yeah, talk about. Yeah, he that. got into trouble. He had to apologize. They made him apologize. HBO made him apologize, but he objected to. Uh, they're playing Maharaji music at a fight where uh, Oscar De La Hoya was fighting. So he's got a he's got a history of making snide, bigoted remarks. So he uh, got into an encounter with uh, Floyd Mayweather, where he brought up uh, Floyd Mayweather's uh, history of domestic violence, right. uh, as if he singling him out. Now I was surprised to learn he they even had me. I was surprised to learn from a Brian Gumble show that. Uh, the largest, uh, 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 the largest uh, examples of domestic violence is in UFC cage cage uh, fighting. Oh yeah. Higher than football, higher than the general population, and uh, there's even one guy named War Machine who almost beat his girlfriend to death. She still has undergo surgery. They have a 9/11 tape of her screaming and yelling, but you don't see them looping that like they did Ray Rice. But anyway, I found there's a division about. How the boxers, the actual people who spent time in the ring, felt about that fight, and the sport. In contrast, the sports writers. So, so uh, uh, Lennox Lewis, uh, Roy Jones Jr., and Paul Magliani, who's always correcting these guys, if you notice, when he's broadcasting. Oh yeah. They all paid tribute to Floyd Mayweather, the sports writers, and I was shocked to hear uh, Atlas, uh, uh, you know, the one who does Friday Night Fight. Teddy yeah, Atlas. Teddy Atlas. He went along yeah. with this. You know, he went along. He knows better. I mean, you know, Floyd Mayweather is an artist and a craftsperson. What they, what television wants is something like a uh, human cockfight, right. where people just stand toe to toe and slug it out. So the kind of uh, fighting and craftsmanship uh, that we know from Roy Jones Jr. and early Muhammad Ali, where you, was you know, thing yeah. like a, you know. Uh, uh, Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. The way he beat Sonny Liston and others. Uh, that's out now. So what they want is drama, theater, where people just slug it out. Uh, you know, which is going to lose boxing fans like me. So uh, I also found that uh, uh, George Foreman left broadcasting because he said he, he said these guys didn't know what they were talking about. Well, and, I and, remember uh, Larry Merchant used yeah. to always correct Foreman. I used to hate that. Yeah. He would yeah, always yeah. question Foreman, and Foreman, who you know is a diplomat and he's real, you know, he's a minister. He really, you could see on his face he was upset, but he kept his cool. But well, they feel that boxers are inferior. They, these are know-it-all Knicks who feel that boxers are inferior. That's the contempt they right. have for boxers. And I would take it, and Ishmael, I take it a step further because for years I covered sports in Colorado and Denver, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I can say the same thing about. When it comes to black athletes and white writers, reporters, announcers, mm-hmm. they look down on them. And there's a jealousy thing there, too, about the money they make. I've heard mm-hmm. grumblings many times from folks 
when they didn't think I was overhearing them just complaining about certain black athletes. Mm-hmm. And it, so it, it's just the whole, it's not just boxing, but it's the whole spectrum of sports when it comes well, to African-Americans. Well, this guy who uh, created that phrase, let's get ready to rumble. Right. He's made more money from that phrase than uh, Ali made in the ring. Ali and and uh, Mike yeah, Tyson Michael put Buffett, together. Yeah, he's, yeah, Michael he's made $400 million. Dollars. $400 million. Oh, yeah. Dollars. And oh, he yeah. got the phrase from Muhammad Ali. You remember when Bandini and, and uh, Muhammad Ali had the phrase, rumble, young man, rumble, you know? That's what he admits that he got the phrase. He admits he got the phrase from Muhammad Ali, and he copyrighted it. And he, you know, he's making millions off of it. Four hundred million dollars. Oh yeah, that's that's what you know. That's what some of these folks do out here. You know, and I want to say something about Larry Merchant too. That, mm-hmm. and you probably remember this. I was little, but Larry Merchant used to attack Dick Allen in the newspapers when he was with the Philadelphia Phillies. He used to say some nasty things, and I read this years later in a book about Dick Allen, which was it was just brutal things he was saying the Philadelphia Inquirer to get the Philadelphia fans upset with uh, Dick Allen, accusing him of being a black Muslim back then, just everything, and, and ran him out of town. So Merchant has that whole history of just being well, I you know, think, just I racist. Think, I think he's probably he's probably improving on the old days. You know, the sports writers in those days said that Joe Lewis was such an animal, he didn't even have to train. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> and I'm surprised to read, you know, Jack London is supposed to be the uh, the one who invented that term, Great White Hope. Right. I went back and read his coverage of the Jack Johnson fight, Jack Johnson, Jim, Jim Jeffries. I mean, in comparison to uh, the kind of sports copy you get today about Tiger Woods and the Williams sister, which is Williams sisters, which is all uh, often nasty. He was he oh, was he, he made a great tribute to Jack Johnson. I said, "Wow, I'm surprised." Back 1911 or something, that you can get a, more respect from a racist like uh, Jack London than nowadays from these liberals. Yeah, and I hope that you. I don't know if you're thinking about this, but I hope you do write a book like this about the Williams sisters. And somebody does that out there because it is. That in itself, how they treat those young ladies is just ridiculous. And Tiger Woods. Well, is, there's a little more sympathy yeah, Tiger Woods. For, now for Tiger Woods. He's like uh, Muhammad Ali in, in the sense that Muhammad Ali is, now that he's not boastful and not knocking out everybody out and is ill and sick, uh, you know, they love, they love him now. And the black people I, whom I interviewed in this book and the hip white people I interviewed said they love him because now he's, he's no longer a threat to them. I like the description that you you describe Muhammad Ali's life the same way that you describe, you say it's the same thing that's going on in the black community. And I want you to elaborate on that because it was, I never thought about that. I said, well, it does make sense. That his, the pattern of his life. Well, you know, he, he uh, was called the king of the world. And, right. you know, and if you go back to anthropology uh, and myth, the state of the nation it, it reflect the, king, the, the state of the king's health reflects the health of the nation. So at, at its peak, before crack and before uh, the, this uh, attack on the black community from the outside, uh, and I saw this in my own neighborhood. I was, I was living in the ghetto for about 30 years. 
at the height of the, you know, Black is Beautiful movement. Right. Muhammad Ali recommended that, or he symbolized that. Now that uh, uh, the black uh, community has been hit by, uh, an, you know, uh, an external uh, attack, uh, you know, it reflects the health that he's in now. It kind of reflects his condition. That's the kind of comparison I was trying to make. Yeah, I really had never looked at it that, thing, that way, but it does make so much sense. And something else, I mean, there's so much that you have in this book, and I want listeners out there to get this book because it's just fascinating. But I didn't know because I'm, I'm from I'm doing this in the D.C. area, and I'm from D.C. Yes. And yes. I remember when Ali came to Howard University. Right. And he right, was outside, right. but I never knew why he was outside, and you talk about why. And just talk about that. Tell my listeners about that. Well, I interviewed Nathan Hare, who was teaching uh, at Howard at the time, and was also a professional boxer. And he talked about how conservative the administration at Howard was at that time. So that not only uh, did Amiri Baraka have to address the students uh, who was, was not accorded hospitality by the university, uh, the same thing happened to Muhammad Ali because he's controversial. And the same thing happened when I met Malcolm X in Buffalo. I mean, uh, you know, I had a radio show. I was, I think I was 20 or 21. And because we sounded like we were trying to be objective with Malcolm X, we lost the radio show. So uh, at that time, uh, the, the conservatives in the black community didn't know how to take Muhammad Ali. They even gave Martin Luther King problems. Remember the, the National Baptist uh, oh, conservative yeah. gave Martin Luther King problems. So they were not prepared for. And, and that's know, something people Islam. don't talk about because what, what was the guy uh, Jackson, Reverend Jackson? Who that's was, right. That's right. That's right. I forget Very his name. He's the one that. Yeah, yeah, I found out when I first time I went to Atlanta and went to Ebenezer. I was told that Reverend Jackson moved his office. It used to be next to Ebenezer, and he decided when he found out, you know, after King had been assassinated and all of this, and they were giving him all his praise, that he moved his office down the block because he didn't want to be associated with King. That's how much he didn't like him. Right, right. In his right. legacy. Well, well you, you can imagine, you can, you can imagine mm-hmm. the reaction from the conservative elements in the black community when Elijah Muhammad, the Nation of Islam, came along. I mean. These are people in Detroit. They go down and beat up the police oh, yeah. in, the, in the courthouse for disrespect, disrespecting their their women. So uh, nobody was prepared for this group. And it was and, and it's funny, like a, too, that, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, you were talking about, you know, Ali being barred basically from Howard University from speaking inside and Barack, you know, um, and Mary Baraka. And the same thing just happened in South Carolina, I believe, with uh, Fer- Louis Farrakhan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and he was mm-hmm. barred from some churches because of the controversy around him. Yeah, well, I, I think I think we do have conservative elements. I mean, now yeah. you have a conservative you have a conservative uh, politician who's gaining on uh, Donald Trump. Of course, they're not going to nominate him, but there there's a, a. I think this all happened at the after the 1960s that uh, those who with the money. The billionaires and their puppets created a counter-revolution, and I think uh, you see the emergence of a, a black right. There's always been a black right. I mean, you could say that 
a, a mainstream middle class black America is conservative, but it has, right. hasn't had this kind of intellectual or media prominence. And if you look at, uh, for example, if you look at MSNBC, all of a sudden they got two black right wingers on because they're they're having a shakeup at MSNBC and they're trying to, you know, appeal to the same audience that Fox gets. Okay. Right. So now all of a sudden, Amy Holmes, who's born in Zambia, and the Jamaican woman, uh, Michelle Bernard, who's backed by right-wing money, they're all, all of a sudden playing a prominent role. So, yeah, there is a black right. And that right didn't have as much power in the 1960s as it has now. But please, yeah. speaking of the right, a lot of people are shocked when I talk about Muhammad Ali's uh, drift to the right when he supported Ronald Reagan. People, hey, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, you mentioned one of the, yeah, because you mentioned in the book one of the scribes, Ali scribes, who I interviewed. I have to say his name, David Zirin, and I oh. talked to him on one on my show way back when, about eight years ago or so. And he wrote this book about Ali, and I said, well, you know, you don't mention anything about the poster of Ali with uh, Floyd Patterson and Joe Frazier supporting Ronald Reagan, and he had never heard of it. But in the same book that he's praising Ali, he's quoting from this book that mentions the whole thing about Reagan and Ali. Well, I'll tell you, uh, David Zarin is brought on the MSNBC to attack black athletes. That's his role. I've confronted him with this, and he says he wants to debate me, but there's nothing to debate about. That's his role. He attacks, uh, well, I I can understand attacking Ray Rice and others, but, uh, you know, or uh, Peterson. But right. uh, to go after Pele and Michael Jordan and to question how they spend their money, that's way out of order. So he's become sort of like a professional uh, auxiliary or a professional uh, surrogate and a, uh, you know, honorary black feminist. And I, and I said, you know, there's plenty of misogyny going on in the ethnic group to which you belong. And, uh, you know, the ideas he called Floyd Mayweather a coward. This, right. this, is, oh, a yeah, man, I this is a man who's risen. Brain damage in the ring. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, you could get killed in the ring. And for Larry and Merchant, heard other say, folks call him a coward. Yeah, yeah. So Larry and Merchant. I, I mean, but he, but Floyd Mayweather has fought future members of the Boxing Hall of Fame, and he, and best of all, every contender. He's, Absolutely. He's every contender. So, so, I don't care. So how, you know, I've had these debates many times with folks, and yeah. the fact is he's fought everyone that's out there. And as you know, Ishmael, they did the same thing with Muhammad Ali. Back then, right. it's like Absolutely. he wasn't fighting. The right. same thing. They did the same thing. If you know your boxing history. Roy Jones Jr. You know, Larry, Larry yeah, Murphy was always on Roy, Roy Jones Jr. Oh, yeah. You know, Roy Jones, you can go back even further that at one point early in his career, Sugar Ray Robinson, same thing, Sugar Ray Leonard. They, you know, it's a, it's a pattern there. It continues. And like you said, you get in the ring, you aren't a coward. If you've ever been hit, I've been hit with a club, you're not a yeah. coward if you go in there. You know, that's something I, I realized very well, early. I didn't want to do that at all. They thought that Pacquiao was defeating that. That was really a blow to to the those sports writers who wanted to see uh, uh, Mayweather come down. But they really put all their hopes right. on Pacquiao, and I, I mean uh, Mayweather took him to school. Maybe oh, yeah. like an yeah, amateur. Yeah. You know, which he would have done, and I believe he would have done it five years ago. Same thing. Oh yeah, of course. 
You know, I don't. Uh, you know, when I hear these folks saying, "Well, you know, the fight happened too late. It happened when it had to happen," and he did what he had to do. Oh, they always. And I, you know, yeah. Oh yeah, and, and, and like you know, was just saying about Ollie. It was the same. I remember these discussions when I was a teenager. The same thing that there were folks, black friends of mine, who would defend Ollie's opponents prior to Joe Frazier. Who just well, you know, know that second you know, fight. You know the second fight, the Phantom Punch. Right. That was supposed to be really. fixed. They even had an right. investigation, remember? Uh, Jim Braddock, Cinderella Man, fought Joe Lewis. Rocky Marciano and Jose Torres, the boxers, they said it was a legitimate punch. Oh, yeah. If you now, slow don't you it think down, they would know? you're saying in the book, yeah. Yeah. You, you slow it down, Lister's foot comes off the ground. That's how hard he's hit. That's right. And his, his equilibrium is just shot. Absolutely. Yeah, he learned Absolutely. To, the way he the way he rolled around, you could tell his, his right. equilibrium. Yeah. And uh, but I mean, the and he got the, he got the punch from uh, Jack Johnson. Jack, if That's you look absolutely. at old films of Jack Johnson, it's the absolutely. anchor punch. He also says yeah, that should be honest. That's right. <laughs> 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 yeah, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. That's a story to sell, Stephen Fetchett. Yep. But I, you know, what you know, as far as we're going to be concluding here, sure, I could have you on here all. I don't know how long you have, but we can go on and on with this. But I, you know, who do you hope will read the book? I know you want everyone to read it, but what do you hope to accomplish with the book? Well, I, I would like people to read it, of course. Uh, I'm right. sort of like a uh, writer in exile. Uh, American publishers uh, don't uh, publish my books, uh, while at the same time, all of my books are being translated into Chinese and. In June, my spouse directed one of my plays in China. I went over there. Oh man! And and in uh, um, uh, and in uh, March, I was in Europe, where people from India, Asia, and uh, Europe read papers on my work in Switzerland. So my solution to the sort of like one at a timeism, right? Know, what we have is tokenism. So you have one at a time, one prominent black writer at a time which is smothering black writing. Because I'm an editor, and I read a lot of manuscripts about black writers. The younger generation is being smothered. I mean, they're oh, being yeah. muzzled by this tendency of the New York establishment. That's Nation Magazine, Atlantic Magazine, you know, New York Review of Books, New York Times, to anoint one writer at a time. And, you know, the, the current writer that they've anointed is, is writing material that we all know. I mean, I know the police. <laughs> I know the police. Are a hostile well, to my black body. You know, you're, you're talking I don't need anybody to write a whole book about that. Yeah, you're talking about so Coates. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like him. He's a talented yeah. kid, but he hit the, the ground that he's covering has been covered many times before. Well, and I, and I, and, say, I agree with you. And yeah. I say the same thing about Michelle Alexander. That's absolutely. There were absolutely. there were reports about you know prisons twenty thirty years ago that black well, folks see, were black, writing. Uh, Black people know this. You, you can tell the audience. So anyway, uh, it's all, only because of shows like yours, uh, the Muslim press, the black press like Crisis, that this book has gotten any kind of momentum. It's been ignored by the mainstream. Because yeah, the, the message is unwelcome, see? What I'm doing is I'm pointing out the serious faults in uh, over 100 books that have been written by Muhammad Ali. The only one that really stands up is Richard Durham's The Greatest. Because at least you have 
Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali verbatim ideas put down on paper. Yeah, right. And even that in that dialogue between Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali in New York is worth the price of a book. So what David Remnick? That's incredible. Yeah, what he did. David Remnick had to go up and blast that book and discredit that book in order for his book to become a bestseller. And, of course, Lonnie presided, Lonnie Ali presided over that book. I mean, uh, Khalilah Muhammad says Lonnie Ali is not a Muslim. She she observes Christmas, you know. She, uh, uh, didn't, didn't Khalilah say she's going to write her own book? She didn't want to give you a lot because yeah. she's writing her own book. Well, she's talking about that situation in uh, Zaire where, yeah. according to witnesses, he knocked her out. I have Quincy Troop, who's uh, sitting at the poolside with Archie Moore. They hear a lot of screaming and yelling. They call for a doctor, and the doctor comes out and says uh, he knocked her out, and you'll see her wearing glasses, dark glasses. The next day she was wearing dark glasses, but when I talked to her, she said it was the other way around. She defeated him right. because she knows, she knows martial arts. Now, a lot of people ignore the fact that he fought Ioki, this martial artist in Japan, okay? Yeah, and he was, yeah. And he was injured so that they, there was talk of amputating one of Ali's legs, and he got blood clots in the other one because he went 15 rounds with a martial arts was constantly kicking him in the legs, you know? So, uh, he had a pelican, he yeah. Had, not only had he slowed down, but then he had to fight these uh, 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 successive, successive fights in that condition. And that's what, you know, that's, besides the stuff he would do when he was sparring. Absolutely, absolutely. He would just... He would just stand there and let guys hit him. I remember well, you that. Into Zaki Shanya, you know the playwright who wrote uh, Color Girls? Right, right. Her her father was a fight doctor. You know, Jersey Joe Walcott used to come over to their house. And well, he had warned that. years before all this happened that Ali was taking too much punishment. And Customato said the same thing, that, you know, he was inviting sparring partners to hit him as hard as they could hit him. So I think that accounts for his... Uh, my brother's a doctor. He says it's certainly not Parkinson's disease. It's probably uh, pugilistic of dementia. Taking, right. you know, and football. They found football players have the same. They're finding what is it, eighty-five percent of of the brains examined of, of football players who donated their brains to science found that they uh, suffer from this condition, which they've known about since the nineteen twenties. Which is well, they don't care. And I've done shows on that. It's amazing. It's right. really amazing. And I have to tell my listeners, too, that your book is not like a criticism of Ali. I want people to understand that. I mean, you lift up Ali even more so than a lot of these books are supposedly do so. But you show him as he is and show what is going on around him. Well, and people alliance, should be aware of that. For, his alliance for criminal elements has never been covered in a oh, book. Oh, yeah, because he's a book. But his alliance. Yeah, I want you to uh, say real quickly. I'm glad you said it. I want you to talk real yeah. quickly about the Harold Smith incident. Yeah, well, Harold, I forgot all Harold, about Harold Smith. Oh well, you know there was Major Coxon who was the uh, who lent him his mansion, lent the Ali family his mansion. He was known as the King of Heroin on the East Coast. Howard Smith embezzled millions of dollars from Wells Fargo, the largest embezzlement scheme in history at Wells Fargo. He's going to take the money. And, you know, pay boxers and sponsor fights and through the profits pay them back. Now, if he'd been white, he could have gotten a loan. <laughs> you know, it occurred to me after, after reading the history of black business. If he'd been white and asked for a loan, 
to sponsor boxing, they would give him the money. But he went around that, and, uh, of course, he went to prison. Ali benefited that. There's also a guy named Hirschfield, who was Ali's uh, manager for a number of years, and he was also a crook. So Ali had alliances with criminal uh, elements, and he made money from these elements and uh, got off. Uh, one, one writer says that he weren't, he weren't such a, a folklore hero, a full folklore hero, he would have been probably invited right. to Lawrence. Oh, man. And it's funny, though, because you talk about that in your book, and then you talk about how someone like Sonny Liston was, you know, considered this just thug, mob, control fighter. And I'm glad that you mentioned Sonny Liston. Talk about Sonny in the book, what you say in the book about him, because a lot of folks don't realize how great a fighter he was. Yeah, well, you know, uh, uh, Joe Lewis said he's the greatest of heavyweight champions. It was only through Emmanuel Stewart, the great trainer and uh, the guy who ran uh, Crunch Gym in Detroit. Right. I interviewed him in Las Vegas. And unlike some of the other people who were really stuck up and wouldn't give me the time of day, but who pour out their souls, you know, to these white writers, uh, I spent a, a, a number of hours with uh, Emmanuel Stewart. And he talked about how Sonny Liston had to fight his way up. Now, I saw that fight in uh, uh, the Madison Square Garden that put – Muhammad Ali in position to fight Sonny Liston. A lot of people say he lost that fight. Oh, well, Doug we Jones. I mean, I, Doug Jones. I saw right. that years Doug later on, on on tape, and it's like, yeah, Ali lost that fight. Now, well, I was in Madison Square Garden, and I was, <laughs> I was sort of like disappointed because I thought, you know, this would just be a knock a, a pushover on his way to the championship. He staggered right. Muhammad Ali, and it should have been declared at least a draw. On the, on the other hand, Sonny Liston had to fight his way up. He busted up a whole lot of people on the way up and busted up a whole lot of people on the way down. Matter of fact, three months before he was killed, he was murdered, he fought Chuck Webner. And he had such power still that Chuck Webner, whose, whose uh, story was the basis for Rocky, Sylvester Stallone's Rocky, Chuck Webner said every time he hit me in the face, he broke something. Yeah. So uh, Sonny Liston, Sonny Liston... Uh, just got a bad deal. Now, a lot of these people said that they wouldn't fight him because of his crim- criminal associations. In my research, I found that all of them had criminal associations, including oh, yeah. uh, Floyd Patterson, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, the second Igamar. Customato tried to make it like he was oh, pure, yeah, but. Customato's uh, brother was in with, you know, had, had those ties. So uh, a lot of people had criminal, a lot of those, right? Rocky Marciano, none of those oh, yeah. boxers had. Criminal, criminal, because criminals, you know, the mob controlled boxing until they ran into the Nation of Islam. They met their match. And I talk about the showdown in Canada where main bouts uh, ran up against the mafia in a fight involving Ali and Ernie Terrell. Oh, yeah. That, yeah I was mafia surprised. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought yeah, mafia that up. Threatened, Say a little more about that. Yeah, the, uh, organized crime threatened. Uh, uh, Herbert Muhammad and Ali and his entourage that if any, if he lo- if he beat Ernie Terrell, he'd find his his body at the bottom of Lake Michigan, and the the uh, Mission of Islam retaliated. So the guy who delivered the message was beaten so badly that he ended up in the hospital and finally in an asylum. The uh, Mission of Islam also challenged the Gambino family. Because Ali's name came up on an FBI tape where these criminals were having a discussion. And the Nation of Islam sent a message to the Gambino family that if anything happened to Muhammad Ali, 
They would come out there and kill everybody in their family, and they would go to the Waldorf Astoria and throw Frank Sinatra out of the window. See, that's stuff that no one knows about unless you read this book. Folks, when they, you know, you don't know about this. And I'm just glad that you, you know, to have the honor just to talk to you today. And I well, it's an honor talking to you, Greg, and thanks so much for the coverage, you know. Yeah, I, I need it. I, need I got it. <laughs> one more thing to ask you that I've always sure. wondered about. And I never found out the exact results, but like I said, I read Mumbo Jumbo. And mm-hmm. years later, the movie um, Ragtime came out. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I saw something that you said that you were suing them or – and I remember going back to Mumbo Jumbo and saying, God, they did steal from his book. Did anything come out of that? Uh, well, you know, uh, he he was in the audience uh, when I read my ragtime novel at Sarah Lawrence. I was very young and wasn't aware that, you know, you could be appropriated. You have to be watch what you say because, <laughs> you know, the black community has always been, a, been plundered of uh, physical assets and intellectual property. I don't, you know, I wasn't oh, yeah. so... Uh, when when an excerpt of that uh, novel came out in the New American Review, just an excerpt, I sent him a postcard saying, I'm glad you like my book. That's before the book was published. Then a whole bunch of people, like uh, editors and scholars, and especially in Europe, have made a tie between my book and Ragtime. Now, uh, I had the book examined, but I think the people who examined it were probably pro-doctoral. On the other, on the other hand, uh, Richard Pryor is a friend of mine here in Berkeley. Uh, took my book Yellowback Radio, broke down, and became Blazing Saddles. He was one of the writers on. I on never Blazing knew that. Saddles. Yeah. Oh man. Matter of fact, that was an essay. To, that was an essay published by some scholar uh, as late as last year, making a connection between uh, Yellowback Radio, broke down, and Blazing Saddles. So that happens. I mean, uh, at least you know you, uh, you you can understand how little Richard and Chuck Berry and them must feel. Uh, when they hear that, uh, you know, whites invented rock and roll. Oh, yeah. You know, when they hear, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all of that, you know, that Paul Whiteman invented jazz and, you know, all of that. It just continues. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and uh, in, in, what's his name, invented uh, yeah. hip-hop? Yeah, they, they're taking credit right. for that, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and there's a, there's a new one out now, this woman from Australia named uh, Izzy. And yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. like, pushing her as, like, she's, like, one of the... Greatest hip hop artist, you know, rapper. Well, you know, at, at, at least the Beatles and Mick Jagger never admitted that they were borrowing from black people. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. But she, she's even made racist statements. I mean, you know, becoming this generation becoming very arrogant about it. And, and things come around because she's what she's doing and what some of the other ones are doing are the same thing that Al Jolson and other folks did in the oh, absolutely. turn oh, yeah. of the twentieth century. Yeah. Because uh, when she's, you know. Well, she's rapping. She's rapping, and she says she's doing a southern dialect. Yeah, well, James Weldon Johnson in Black Manhattan, it's a very interesting book, called these people black delineators, black delineators. Ah. Nowadays we call them white Negroes. <laughs> That's it. Listen, i got to ask you one more thing, because you did talk about the Republican Party elections and all. What do you think is going to happen? Well, you know, uh, I think whites uh, in Europe, uh, at least some of them, you know, there are a lot of whites who voted for uh, uh, Barack Obama and are willing to accept diversity. But you have this hardcore white supremacist and white nationalists who are uh, gaining power not only here but in Europe. And the main topic or the main issue is immigration. 
I, w- I think in 20 years you're going to have a Muslim Europe, a Muslim African oh, yeah. Europe. Now, when oh, I was yeah. in Paris, people on radio asked me, did I think Paris is becoming a African city? I didn't know what they're talking about. Then I sit on the Champs Elysees and look like Legos. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, Europe is going to change. Uh, the German birth rate is zero, so that's why they're, you know, Germans are not reproducing themselves, so that's why they're welcoming these uh, immigrants because you know somebody's got to do the work. But I think uh, yeah. the, people people are not connecting this this right wing charge. I mean, it's a good thing that uh, Donald Trump is stupid. I mean, suppose you had somebody really bright leading this, and that's what we have to be cautious of. As somebody who's really do you think he's really, I, I, see, I, yeah. my argument is I don't think he's really stupid. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. he's part of the just a pawn. I, I look at it like uh, a number of people have said this. I look at it like wrestling. Mm-hmm. That he's mm-hmm. the villain right now to bring attention to the group, yeah. the Republicans. But there is what they call a baby face there who's actually going to get the nomination. Well, see, the guy, this and guy I, doesn't have that too. That's, I told my wife the other night, he peaked when he, even before he made that, he didn't answer that question about, or didn't defend Obama, the night before he'd gone to rally, and he doesn't have an act, too. So that's right. why I think he's not going to, he's going to fail. But some one of those people are going to mainstream, like some real, you know, uh, opportunist like uh, Rubio. See, Rubio's saying the same thing. I really think he's going to get it. I think Rubio, See, well, if, if you he know, doesn't uh, They're not, not going to like no Hispanic. No, these people are not going to like no Hispanic presidents. <laughs> You're kidding. Well, yeah, you, got, you, like you no have Indian more knowledge either. than me. <laughs> it probably will be Bush. If they don't put Rubio in there, it'll be Bush. Well, if they if they do Bush, he's going to lose. Yeah, he'll lose against yeah. the Clinton machine. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. the fact that they're that the fact that they're behind in Iowa and uh, 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 uh what was it? They're behind in uh, Iowa and. And what's the other state? New Hampshire. Is it uh, New Hampshire? Doesn't yeah, phase New Hampshire. Them. yeah, that doesn't phase them. Oh no. You know. So anyway, um, it's going to be interesting. But this is part of a right-wing movement. I mean, they elected a neo-Nazi party in uh, Greece, or at least they made gains. And the right wing is making gains all over Europe, and it's happening here. Yeah, it's happening here. And did, did you ever think that would happen in this country? Oh yeah, absolutely. I wrote a book about it called The Terrible Twos. That's what that was the end of my career here in the United States. <laughs> oh, I gotta get that you book. Know, the, I gotta check the, it out. The early books the well, it's being translated into German now. But the early books were uh, I, I coined the term neo slave narrative, which has become real a- academic hustle, but I'm getting credit for uh-huh. it. With a book called Flight to Canada. Never I didn't know uh-huh. then that I'd be I'd be continuing my career in Canada. I'd be fl- the one flying to Canada. But um, <laughs> those early books, Mumbo Jumbo, 1920s, Flight to Canada, 19th century, so on, uh, with the terrible twos, I took on the Reagan, the rise of Reagan, and that was the end of all the uh, praise that I got in this country. My goodness. You know, it, it never hit me now that, you know, talking to you. Well, I have, but the point the is, Greg, I have. You know, you made this book. In the terrible twos, I have. A Christian fundamentalist running the government in terrible twos. Oh man! 1982. It could come to pass. You never know. But and I, the book predicts, pre- and the book predicts the divide, demise of the Soviet Union, 
when uh, uh, CIA didn't have a clue. But I have that in that book, and I, not only do I, I predict in the terrible twos of the minds of the Soviet Union, but I pinpoint where it would occur, which is Latvia, and under the circumstances uh, under which it would occur. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get that book. i got to get it. <laughs> That's the one I've missed. You know, probably purposely that was not put in some bookstores there. Well, but, but, yeah, you I know, they got, Stanley, they got Stanley Cross to do a hit job in the Nation magazine. And the Terrible Threes, they got uh, another black writer to hit hit that one. Uh, so I'm working on the Terrible Fours now. Oh, man. I look forward to reading that one. Oh, man. Let me ask you one more thing. I, I just, sure. What do you think about the whole Black Lives Matter, the whole movement? Oh. Oh, I mean, well, see, but what uh, the slogan should be, white lives matter more. I like black lives matter, but they open themselves to, you know, Fox News and all those people say, well, what about, you know. Right. Every, every, I mean, comedians even joke about the media paying a whole lot of attention to missing white women. I mean, there's even a joke. There's a joke culture about that, that, you know, white lives matter more. And I think uh, we got, you know, we got the statistics to point that out. Like uh, white women are the safest of all groups in the United States. Yet uh, when, you know, they still talk about that that woman that was was down in that uh, one of those Caribbean islands, who they're still looking for her. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And so, you know, black women, black women and black kids, they disappear all the time. Nobody seems to pay attention to that. Oh yeah, and that's a whole that's a show in itself. That's yeah. a definite show. But Ishmael, I just want to thank you for the time and all, just the history lesson that you've oh, given. Oh, thank you very much, Greg. You know, and I'm going to yeah, pick up that hope book. Hope we can do it again sometime. Oh, yes, definitely, definitely so. And the book is The Complete Muhammad Ali, written by the legendary and one and only Ishmael Reed. I'm just honored to have you on here and just look forward to talking to you on the show again and just talking to you in person like we did at the book fair. That would be great. I look forward to it. Uh, all right, you take care. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Goodbye All right. now. All right, take care, Ishmael. And that was Ishmael Reed. And that was a uh, that's a scoop there. If you didn't learn any history there, I don't know where you're going to learn it because I didn't know. I got this book from a publishing company in Canada. I didn't know the reason it was published in Canada because he can't publish in this country. That's amazing. I didn't know that. But yeah, if you don't know Ishmael Reed, which is a shock. For me, or some of you don't, but I know a lot of listeners here don't know his work. Get the book, go online, get any of his work, and just read it. And you'll see that he, you know, he does amazing poetry, essays, common social commentary, novels, just everything. Just check his stuff out. I mean, this is one of the legends of writing in this country. Not legends of black writing, but legends. This is a legend of writing. Really check his work out, and I'm just grateful that he came on the Root and Root show this evening, and we're going to definitely have him back on the show. But we're going to get to now, we're going to get to some music, I was going to play some more. Got another Ali song here I'm going to do, you know, in tribute of the book, and we're going to do Alvin Cash and the Crawlers doing the Ali Shuffle, so let's hear that on the Root and Root show.
Oh, workout now. That was uh, Alvin Cash and the Crawlers doing the Ollie Shuffle on the Root and Root Show, and I'm just like still and just uh, and I was, I was just sweating, sweating in excitement just to have the honor to talk to for an hour with Ishmael Reed, the legendary Ishmael Reed, and I hope you enjoyed that and just learn not only about Ali and what's going on around him, but also about some history there from you know from a Someone who's been there, who knew Malcolm X, who's just been in the movement since the 50s. And just, you know, it's just an honor to talk to folks like that and just learn from them. And just, you know, I could just, like, talk to him all day. I know know that you would, too. You know, just amazing and just thankful to have the opportunity, to have the blessing to have him on this program. And we're going to get to some more music. In fact, I will do... What we're going to do, we'll do some. We'll slow it up. I'll slow it up for folks out there. We'll slow it up. No, I think I'll do one more. I'm going to do one more Ollie song. Let's do, we're going to, down to Jamaica. This is a, a Dennis Al Capone, and this is called Cassius Clay. And, and this was made in 1973. And on the on the 45, 45, you don't know what that was. That's a, that's a little uh, smaller version of a, of a vinyl for some of you who don't know what it is. But anyway... They called the song Clashes Clay, but less and that was a misprint. But let's hear Dennis Al Capone, Cassius Clay on the Root and Root Show. Coming from the top of the mountain, the man called Cassius Clay is back again, you know. Bobbing and weaving and moving away, the man called Cassius Clay is the other of the day. So if you want to see some good exhibition, you got to see the man called Cassius Clay in action. Wawa di wawa, di wawa di wo. Tell you, wawa di wawa, di wawa di wo. Showing punches that is effective. The brother is fighting constructive. Saying wawa di wawa, di wawa di wo. Do you think I let me see you sing? Brother, come and don't do your thing. Move away, Joe Fraser. Four man on the top. But when Cassius Clay come, he drop. So, wawa, di wawa. Di wawa, we move. Do your thing and do your thing. So, brother, come and don't sing. Do your thing, y'all. Go down the leaves away. The brother called Cassius Clay is the other of the day. So, the wawa, di wawa. With a left and a right And a right and a left And this gonna be hard To the fight of the night, y'all To the wawa di Got 
Without that 
starting off with the little. We started off with a little reggae, but we're getting into our little slow jam period now. And I know that was a familiar voice to you. That was Damian Harris. He took over for Eddie Kendricks with the Temptations and did the. He was the falsetto in the Temptations when Eddie left. And that was a group that he created after he left the Temptations called Impact. And that was a pretty little song called Man and Woman. Before that, we did the pretty little Shantae Moore and Everything We Want. Before that, we did the Love Lights. And Love So Strong, we started to set off with uh, Denise, I mean, sorry, not Denise, I mean uh, Dennis Al Capone and Cassius Clay. And we're going to get to more music here as we slow it down here on the Root and Root Show. And I think we'll do, let's see, we're going to go back in the time capsule again and we'll do a little bit right now. We're going to go way back and um, I think we will do right now a spectrum and trust me. So let's hear that. And that's from the 70s. A spectrum, one of the forgotten groups of. Uh, of R&B, and let's play Trust Me on the Root and Root Show. Hey, girl. I can understand why you might not by that look in your eyes that you've been hurt so many times before. But if you just trust me, depend on me. If you do, I'll never let you down. Much too high for you to climb. When you've used up all your strength, don't give up until you've used mine. And love me. And me. If you do, I'll never let you fall.
You. 
It's always a room to stand beside you, a beautiful young lady like you. But you know, I'm not going to say anything because I want to tell you about the woman that I got. The woman that I got, hey, she believes in me. She believes when I'm doing it, I'm doing it right. If I'm wrong, she's with me. Not that she want to be wrong. So when cats try to talk to her, they can't win because that's my woman. Well, James, you see, I know what you're talking about. Because I got a man I believe to be really out of sight. And I know whatever goes down, my man is in my corner. He's got the sample there, I'll see. And you see, what he do is smiling in your face. And all the time they want to take your place. That's what you said. And you told them, the backstabbers, backstabbers.
Backstabbers. And before that, on the Root and Root show, we did this group. I really don't know much about it, but I love the song. It's a Richmond International. It's from the early 70s. That was Maybe. And before that, we did the Continental Four, I Don't Have Your Baby. Then we did Jimmy Briscoe and Little Beaver out of Baltimore, Maryland. That was Only Feel This Way. And then we did Baby Washington, Only Those in Love. Then we did Gary Taylor and Marva Hicks, I Will, I Will Be There For You. And then we started to set off on the Root & Root show this segment with Ace Spectrum and Trust Me. And I hope you enjoyed that music. I got I got a few more minutes. We're going to put some more stuff on here. Let's get into, let's do a new one from Will Downing. Let's do Will Downing, and we're going to do Never Say No to You on the Root & Root Show. I could never say no to you.
I try to keep these things so they're not like time sensitive, but I just had to throw that out there. But <clears throat> again, I'm just so I'm really choked up because uh, I'm just so happy, honored, just that I had Ishmael Reed on tonight, and the book that we were talking about when well, we got into a lot of things as far as history uh, is the complete Muhammad Ali is on Barack books out of Canada, Quebec, Canada, so you can get it online. Great book about Muhammad Ali and the people that were around him and stories you don't hear about him. But it does praise Ali, but the folks that are around him that were doing things that weren't for his benefit, some of them, some people who were for his benefit that you don't hear about. But again, this is Greg Rasheed with the Fruit and Root Show. I'm just happy to have you tune in this evening whenever you tune in and just enjoying the show. And if you want to become a family member of this program, just go to my Facebook site, Greg, G-R-E-G, last name Rashid R-A-S-H-E-E-D. Go to Twitter, hashtag Unifix, U-N-I-F-I-S-C-S as in Sam, and hashtag Unifix. And you can also go on the blogtalkradio.com site, look for Root and Root Show. And also go on, you can go on um, iTunes and look for the show anytime at your convenience with Thanks to listeners like you, we have topics like this with about Muhammad Ali and topics. So I just want to say go in love and go in peace. And this is Greg Rashid. We'll be seeing you next time on the Root and Root Show. Thanks so much for supporting the show and help someone along the way. Give them a hug. But go in love and go in peace. We'll see you next time on the Root and Root Show. <laughs>